Welcome to the Albany Update with Reverend Jason J. McGuire, Executive Director of New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms. Now, with this week's Albany Update, here's Jason McGuire. Thank you for joining this week's edition of the Albany Update. Last week, a bombshell dropped. Lieutenant Governor Brian Benjamin was arrested and later in the same day resigned. Now, political junkies are trying to figure out whether his name can be removed from the ballot or if it will remain alongside Governor Kathy Hochul's in the upcoming primary election. As big as that story was, it wasn't the only news of the week, though. It was days late, but the governor and the legislature finally finished the state's $220 billion budget. Third, in what seems like old news already, Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson was confirmed to the U.S. Supreme Court. She likely won't be seated until the fall, after Justice Breyer's retirement. And finally, in today's program, there was a recent special election in the 20th Assembly District. Many are saying that this may very well be a bellwether for where the suburbs will break in this November's general election. If so, it's a very good sign for Republican candidates. Let's get started. So first up today... Yet another high-ranking New York politician has left office after getting in trouble with the law. On April 12, 2022, Lieutenant Governor Brian Benjamin was arrested in connection with a federal bribery case. Following his arrest, Lieutenant Governor Benjamin resigned from office. According to NBC New York, Lieutenant Governor Benjamin is charged with fraud, conspiracy, bribery, and falsification of records. Lieutenant Governor Benjamin is alleged to have participated in a fraudulent conspiracy in which he agreed to solicit state funding for a nonprofit organization in exchange for campaign donations from a real estate developer. The alleged conspiracy was connected to Lieutenant Governor Benjamin's failed 2021 campaign for New York City Comptroller. According to the New York Times, the federal government further alleges that Lieutenant Governor Benjamin attempted to cover up his alleged crimes by falsifying campaign donation forms, misleading New York City authorities, and giving false information as part of a background check to become lieutenant governor last year. Lieutenant Governor Benjamin has pleaded not guilty and is free on $250,000 bail. The arrest and resignation of Lieutenant Governor Benjamin create political challenges for Governor Kathy Hochul, who handpicked him for his former post and chose him as her running mate in her campaign for a full term as governor. The governor's efforts to portray herself as above reproach could be significantly hindered by Lieutenant Governor Benjamin's legal difficulties. Furthermore, Lieutenant Governor Benjamin's name is already on the ballot for the June Democratic primary. As the Times noted, his name can only be removed at this point if he were to move out of state, die, or seek another office. In an interesting twist, candidates for governor and lieutenant governor run on separate ballot lines in New York primaries. Therefore, it is entirely possible that Governor Hochul could win her primary this June and end up with a general election running mate that she did not select. Other candidates running include either former Deputy Brooklyn Borough President and New York City Council member Diana Reyna, the running mate of U.S. Representative Tom Suozzi, or progressive activist Anna Maria Archila, the running mate of New York City public advocate Jumani Williams. And as big as that story was last week, it wasn't the only news. In fact, on April 9th of 2022, New York lawmakers finished passing the 2022-2023 state budget. The record-setting $220 billion budget 
was passed eight days after the constitutional budget deadline of April 1st. It includes tweaks to the state's controversial 2019 criminal justice reforms, tax cuts and rebates, opportunities for new casinos to open in and around New York City, and $600 million in subsidies for a new stadium for Governor Kathy Hochul's hometown Buffalo Bills. Sadly, it also includes an abortion insurance mandate. Criminal justice reforms were included in the budget at the insistence of Governor Hochul. As the New York Times reported, the budget legislation also allows judges to weigh specific factors in setting bail, including whether a defendant is accused of causing serious harm to someone and whether a defendant has a history of using or possessing a gun. In addition, the budget increases the number of crimes for which bail can be required by setting new rules for persons accused of repeat offenses. The budget reportedly loosens New York's discovery rules by giving judges authority to decide whether to dismiss cases when prosecutors acting in good faith have missed deadlines for producing certain information. The budget's criminal justice provisions appear to have addressed some concerns expressed by law enforcement officials. However, New York City Mayor Eric Adams has characterized the legislation as incomplete because it fails to give judges the authority to jail criminals before trial based on a finding of dangerousness. Moreover, other law enforcement officials contend that the legislation will not curb the crime wave New York is experiencing. On the other hand, the progressive base of the Democratic Party, which saw no need to roll back New York's criminal justice reforms, bemoaned the budget language as reactionary. According to the New York Post, Senate Majority Leader Andrea Stewart-Cousins, a Yonkers Democrat, and Assembly Speaker Carl Hasty, a Bronx Democrat, opposed the bail reform rollbacks and pointedly refused to appear with Hochul to announce the budget deal. The budget also allows for up to three new Vegas-style casinos to be licensed in the New York City metropolitan area. Previously existing law would not have allowed downstate casinos to be licensed in 2023, but the budget accelerated this timetable. According to the New York Daily News, the licenses will cost up to $500 million each, and a community advisory committee will influence the proposed locations of the casinos. Two existing racinos, the Empire City Casino at Yonkers Raceway in Westchester County and Resorts World Queens at Aqueduct Racetrack, are expected to apply for licenses to become full-fledged casinos. The Health and Human Services portion of the budget includes an abortion insurance mandate. Prior to the passage of the budget, the state of New York already required most employers to provide insurance coverage for abortion. However, that insurance mandate, which is the subject of ongoing litigation, was not required by state statute. Senate Bill 8007C and the Companion in the Assembly 9007C requires New York health insurance policies that provide maternity coverage to cover abortion as well. Specifically, the bill states that every policy which provides hospital, surgical, or medical coverage, and which offers maternity care coverage, shall also provide coverage for abortion services for an enrollee. The bill contains an extremely weak exemption for religious employers. The exemption applies only to churches, associations of churches, and religious orders. In other words, faith-based charities and family-owned businesses that offer employee health coverage will now be required to provide abortion coverage. 
It is hoped that this new abortion insurance mandate will be successfully challenged in court. News cycles seem to pass very quickly, and yet it was only on April 7th that the United States Senate voted 53-47 to to confirm Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson of the U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit as a justice to the Supreme Court of the United States. Judge Jackson is expected to be sworn in as a Supreme Court justice this summer. Justice Stephen Breyer's retirement will become effective upon the conclusion of the court's current term. Judge Jackson is the first African-American woman in history to be confirmed as a Supreme Court justice. As we had previously predicted, Judge Jackson's confirmation received bipartisan support. Senators Susan Collins, a Republican from Maine, Lisa Murkowski, the Alaska Republican, and Mitt Romney, the Utah Republican, joined all 50 Senate Democrats in voting to confirm her. During her confirmation hearings, Judge Jackson said, I believe that the Constitution is fixed in its meaning. The judge added that it's appropriate to look at the original intent, original public meaning of the Constitution, when attempting to interpret it. These comments are heartening, and we hope that Judge Jackson will remember them and live by them. However, given her track record, Judge Jackson is expected to join the ranks of liberal justices who view the Constitution as a living document and interpret it in accordance with their own ideological bent. Several of Judge Jackson's responses during her confirmation hearings give rise to concerns. In particular, one exchange with Senator Marsha Blackburn, the Tennessee Republican, was illuminating. When Senator Blackburn asked Judge Jackson to define the word woman, the judge responded, No, I can't. Not in this context. I'm not a biologist. Since when does it take a Ph.D. in biology to know what the word woman means? The judge's response demonstrates an unwillingness to speak the plain truth when doing so might offend a constituent group of the Democratic Party. English women's rights activist Kelly J. Keene has come up with the perfect reply to the judge's response. I'm not a vet, but I know what a dog is. At New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms, we pray that Judge Jackson will be influenced by the Lord and by conservative colleagues like Justice Clarence Thomas and Samuel Alito to rule wisely in the cases that come before her. Also on April 7, 2022, Republican Ari Brown defeated Democrat David Lobel in a special election to fill a vacant assembly seat in New York's Assembly District 20. Assembly District 20 was previously represented by another Republican, Assemblywoman Missy Miller, who recently stepped down due to family obligations. The margin of victory in the Long Island-based district is stunning. Unofficial totals indicate that Brown received 4,667 votes, and Lobel received only 2,413. Given that Democratic voters outnumber Republican voters by several thousand in Assembly District 20, and given that the two candidates took similar positions on a variety of issues, the fact that Brown won the election by a margin of nearly 2 to 1 is quite noteworthy. According to Homodia.com, Democratic former New York City Councilman David Greenfield commented that the election results in Assembly District 20 should certainly concern Democrats across New York State. Greenfield added, There was a very well-qualified Democratic candidate who had run in what would have been a competitive race, but the larger issues, such as bail and COVID, are what dominated the election. Greenfield goes on to say, 
As Democrats, we need to be listening to our constituency that is very clearly frustrated. Brown made the following comments. This is just the beginning of a red wave like never before. People are tired of the crime. People are tired of being told what to do. It's too soon to know for certain whether the election results in Assembly District 20 are reflective of voters' sympathies in other areas of New York. If they are, however, incumbent Democrats should not take their seats for granted in the fall elections. And if the suburbs are breaking for the Republican candidates, well, that could be a very bad sign for Governor Kathy Hochul running on the Democratic line in this November's general election. And finally today, on April 8th and April 9th, New Yorker's Family Research Foundation, our educational arm, held its first-ever campaign school. The two-day event was held in the Rochester area and was a resounding success. Nearly 20 New Yorkers who are interested in running for political office or desire to work in other people's campaigns attended the event. The presenters at the campaign school were Zach Freeman and Joseph Backholm of Imperial Independent Media and myself. We spoke on various topics, including seeing the world from the voters' eyes, introduction to worldview, and how to save the world without losing yourself. We're thankful to the presenters and to every person who attended campaign school. We hope that the information provided was useful and edifying, and we pray that godly men and women will step forward to seek elected office in New York. Christians cannot expect government to take righteous actions if we are not willing to get involved ourselves. So stay tuned as we hope to repeat campaign school in other times and in other places around the state of New York. You have been listening to the Albany Update, hosted by the Reverend Jason J. McGuire, Executive Director of New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms. New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms exists to influence legislation and legislators for the Lord Jesus Christ. To learn more about this ministry, issues you've heard on the program, or to make a financial contribution in support of New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms, visit albanyupdate.com or call 585-225-2340. Additionally, you can mail correspondence to P.O. Box 107, Spencerport, New York, 14559. You can receive the latest legislative updates at facebook.com slash albanyupdate. Follow New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms on Twitter at Albany Update or sign up to receive the weekly Albany Update email by texting the word FREEDOM to 22828.